This is your Thursday Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. Very excited about today's show. I'm excited about all the shows, of course, but in particular, um, really enjoyed a couple conversations I had that I'm bringing to you today. Ryan Hartman from the Minnesota Wild will join me here in just a few minutes. Talk about the season. He leads the team with 12 goals this year. Um, had some fun uh, fun stories he shared and, and things like that. So just a really good conversation with Ryan Hartman that I'm excited to share with you guys here in just a little bit. And I talked to Marcus Fuller, Gophers men's basketball beat writer from the Star Tribune. 6-0 and start for that team. And uh, Marcus does a great job covering them and offered some really good perspectives on, on why this team is 6-0 and and whether that's sustainable once they face better levels of competition here coming up very soon. So both those things coming up here in just a little bit. But first, what did I miss? Major League Baseball should have been a day of real celebration for the Twins on Wednesday. And it was early on. Byron Buxton introduced to the media fresh off of his contract extension um, seven years hundred million dollars plus incentives um, and you know had some great some some real kind of next uh, next level for him in terms of his status on this team kind of a uh, kind of stuff that came out of that including you know how badly he wants to win a World Series how Signing with the Twins and getting a full no-trade clause was important to him because he wants to be here long-term. He wants his family to be here long-term. So before I talk more about Buxton and the rest of how yesterday unfolded for Major League Baseball, let's play a couple clips from that news conference. I'm going to do what i got to do to be that leader in the clubhouse and also on the field. And like I said, I know I keep reiterating this, but... The ring is my biggest thing, you know. Um, we get to watch a lot of teams playing the playoffs, but tired of watching. You know, I'm ready to get in the playoffs and let teams know what we're about. So, um, you know, I'm just ready to play baseball. For me, it was uh, a big deal. Like I said, this is our home here. So the stability here for me and my family to and my kids to, you know, stay here, put them in school, let them play baseball, Fishing, whatever it may be, uh, the comfortability level was uh, a big key for us, and staying here uh, throughout my career was a, a big piece for me. So you combine those things, and we found found that medium ground, and you know we're happy. Like I said, this this is the place we want to be, and it's nowhere else. So, like I said, should be a joyous day. Should be a day of celebration. Twins keep. One of their best players, obviously some risk there with his injury history, but when healthy, he was as good as anybody last season. He's been trending in the right direction the last few years, and now he is here for the next seven. Now, not necessarily short-lived. You can still be excited about the Bucks and signing, um, but two other things emerged Wednesday that uh, weren't necessarily in the win column, shall we say. The biggest one, of course, being... Major League Baseball locked out its players, you know, hours after Buxton's news conference. Don't know when this work stoppage will come to an end. Um, You know, certainly time for them to get, you know, get things figured out before things have a major impact. But, you know, they've had like two years where they knew this was looming. Like, couldn't that have been the deadline? Uh, Why do they have to take it to this 
next level where they have to lock out the players. Why couldn't they have figured this out sooner? It's just it's it's gross. It's another example of the awful direction that baseball is headed right now. I've talked about this multiple times. The games are too long. The pace of play is embarrassing. And this is just one more thing where they can't figure it out. And baseball has fallen in relevance in my mind so far in the last 18 months to even you know a few years that I don't I don't quite know what their plan for recovery is because if they've lost people like me, if they're losing people like Patrick Royce, they are in real trouble, not just, oh, we're going to get the fans back when we figure this all out trouble like maybe they were in the 90s. This isn't the 90s anymore. Uh, maybe you could come back from missing a World Series in the mid-90s. I don't know what you're going to do right now as people start to phase out of baseball. That said, you know, it, it's not gone yet. It's still a very popular league, a very popular sport, even if it's slipped quite a bit. Twin signed Dylan Bundy on uh, on Wednesday. Pitcher, long time with the Orioles, was with the Angels last season. Did not go well for him last year. Um, I'm just looking up the numbers right now. 23 games, 19 starts, 90 innings pitched. Uh, a lot of home runs, guys. A lot of home runs. Over 20 home runs and just that many innings pitched. Yeah, 20 home runs in 90 innings pitched. Had a 6.06 ERA. Just looking at fan graphs right now. Um, projected to have a 4.98 ERA next season and go 9-11. and 11. For the Twins, quote from Derek Falvey, president of baseball operations, um, about Dylan Bundy saying, you look at 2020, I know it was a shortened season, but he did anything you could have asked of him. And I think this year he dealt with some of those injuries. Our hope is that we can get him healthy in pitching and we can see a lot more of the 2020 version of Dylan over the course of a full season. It just speaks to me of classic twins. We can fix this guy mentality. Six and three with a 3.29 ERA in that shortened year 2020. Certainly good. 2016, 2017, not bad with Baltimore. Won a combined 23 games those years. ERAs just a bit above four. If that's what you're getting from Dylan Bundy for $4 million plus a $1 million possible buyout next season, um, that's that's fine. I think that'd be pretty good, but Problem is, three of the last four years have had ERAs of 5.45, 4.74, and 6.06. Um, larger body of work recently suggesting it will trend poorly instead of trending well in this regard. So I, I don't, I don't really love the move. I'm sure it's not the last pitching move. However, it is the last pitching move for months because now we are in this lockout phase. So. Twins scrambled, got one pitching move done before, you know, we're probably going to be staring at a lockout of at least two months in my guess, um, and they can't do anything roster-wise until then. Um, this pitching is still in, in disarray, and I don't think the Dylan Bundy signing solved much of that problem at all. Take a playcation to Mystic Lake for 24-7 gaming, fun restaurants and bars, and luxurious hotel rooms. And join Club M to bask in the rewards. Follow the lights to Mystic Lake, where every day is play day. Happy to be joined on Daily Delivery today by Ryan Hartman, leading goal scorer for the Wild this season. 12 goals, had 
two assists the other night in a win over Arizona. Second on the team in points, I believe, behind uh, Mr. Kaprizov, who's who he's familiar with uh, from playing with him quite a bit. Ryan, how you doing? Doing well. How about yourself? I'm good, thanks. Thanks for uh, joining me. We're talking on Wednesday, a day off for you, so very much appreciate your time. Um, let's just talk about the season at the jump. Like I said at the beginning, 12 goals. Um, you know, not like you don't have goals in you, not like you haven't, you know, got close to 20 goals uh, earlier in your career, but I don't think most people maybe anticipated this level of output from you so far this year. What's been working for you? Uh, kind of just about everything. I mean, things have been, pucks have been going in for the most part. Uh, you know, the team overall is playing really well and it's, 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 you know, a lot easier to play when the team's playing well. Um, you know, we're playing with, you know, I was going to say we're playing with leads, but that hasn't really been the case all year, but, um, it's been better lately, uh, which is a good thing. And, uh, but yeah, overall, just, just a full, you know, the team's rolling and, you know, we started off the year pretty hot and, uh, you know, it was a lot better start than the previous year. So, um, we're just looking to, to keep that train rolling. I believe, um, if I, I looked it up on Wednesday morning, as of Wednesday, at least, Wild led the league in goals. You lead the team in goals. I mean, just I think you alluded to it a little bit, just a lot of people rolling right now. Um, but the team speed seems to be an asset right now, just kind of up and down the lineup. feels like there's a lot of confidence right now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's uh, like the last, I don't know, last two weeks we've been scoring a lot of goals. Um, there's some games where we're giving up a little bit, but, you know, we know how to score. We, we have that... Uh, scoring up and down a lineup that depth scoring and um you know i i was my agent texting me uh after the game yesterday is just saying how fun we are to watch and i was telling him like i would hate hate to play us you know it'd be just the way we play um you know you got that eck line i mean all four lines grind and you know obviously they all have all four lines have skill but we work hard first and we we do really good things with the puck and we're responsible and would really hate to to play a team like us. Yeah, I agree. I agree. You guys have been fun to watch this season, and obviously, you haven't been here for your whole career. You started with Chicago, a couple other stops along the way. Was when you were in a, when you played against Minnesota, you know, back back previously when you were an opposing team. Was stylistically what what, what differences can you point to between this team and maybe some of the wild teams you played against in the past? Uh, yeah, I mean, it was always a tough building to play. And I remember, um, you know, it was always cold. You're always coming in January, February. Um, you stand, you know, we always stayed in St. Paul. Um, you know, there's, like you said, there, we weren't really leaving the hotel much because how cold it was. And, um, but overall, I mean, you know, they were always a tough team. Like I remember playing against that stall, Parise. I'm trying to think who would have been the, the third winger or the other winger on that line, but they played so good low and behind the net. It was always the D would get it, put it behind the net and stall would be behind the net with the puck and always be making plays. And <coughs> Sorry. Um, yeah. And just kind of now it's just, you know, we grind, we, we play hard. We play defensive style first. Um, you know, when we are, when we do lose games, it's, it's mainly because of what we did and that we didn't, play how we were supposed to play and that's a reasoning to when we do lose games which is 
you know, that's, that's a great problem to have, you know, you we can control our own destiny. Um, you know, if we just play the right way, we're going to win a lot of hockey games. Speaking of controlling your destiny, I'm just kind of curious about your journey to the NHL. I believe first player born in South Carolina to play in the NHL, but you, I don't know how long you lived there. It sounds like you grew up more in Illinois, but still it's a, an interesting distinction, not exactly a hockey hotbed. How did you get to, to this point? Yeah. Um, my parents both went to university of South Carolina. My mom's from down there. My dad's from Chicago. Um, you know, I was born down there. Uh, probably spent the first two years of my life down there. And then I actually lived with my cousin in Alabama for a short period of time. while well, I think they, my parents were house hunting in Chicago. Um, and then when we moved up there, when I was like two and a half, you know, spent my whole life in Chicago, but, um, it was honestly just the winters. It was, you know, I was literally only there for when school started to when school ended and obviously hockey season. And then the day school ended, um, which would have been June or May or whatever, every year, uh, I'd get picked up on the last day of school in the car and the car would be packed. We'd be driving down to South Carolina, um, all the way until the day before school started. And that was every summer until I was 15, 16 years old. I didn't touch a hockey stick or, or play hockey. Uh, my dad didn't let me, it was time off. I guess, uh, you look now kids play, you know, 12 months a year. You know, I spent my summer months playing baseball, golf, fishing. I worked on a fishing boat down in South Carolina. Um, great. I mean, yeah, you can say I grew up in Chicago, but at the same time, I felt most of my childhood was at the beach and uh, the golf courses down there. I think you alluded to it just now, but I, I think that there's this push pull between, you know, getting on the ice as much as possible, but there's also a lot of research that says play other sports, get a, get a break from your primary sport. You don't want to burn out. You want to still have that love for it when you go back to it. Is that, kind of what you experienced by, you know, like you said, not picking up a hockey stick for, for a lot of, you know, for those entire summers. Yeah. I mean, hundred percent. Um, you know, I, I, you were talking about like studies and stuff. Like I know there's, there's links to multi-sport athletes and single sport athletes to injury. And, you know, you're using different, like, you know, hockey is such an interesting sport with your hip, hips and your groins. And, you know, if you just do that for 12 months straight, like you're going to have some wear and tear. And, you know, if you, give yourself rest and you're, you know, you're running, you're swinging a golf. Like it's, it's completely different. And, um, but like that fire, like you don't want it to burn out, you know, like it, like I'm sure it has with some kids. Um, I just remember every, after every summer, just being so excited to start playing hockey again, you know, and uh, just being able to have to re- reignite that fire, just I take a time off was, was great. Um, and it just made every year, you know, that much more fun. It's, you know, looking back, it would be tough, you know, as a kid, you know, I'm sure I know a lot of kids do it. A lot of kids love the game of hockey. So do I, but um, to go through a whole summer of, of skating and all that, like I do it now, you know, it's, it's a job at the same time, but I, I, you know, obviously still do love it and you miss the, the physicality. Like that's the biggest thing in the summer now is, you know, you skate around, you do your little drills and shoot on goalies. And sometimes you don't even have a goalie to shoot on and, you miss the bumping and the, the physicality of the game. So, um, but the time off as a kid is definitely, uh, I think expect, you know, it's different for everybody, but for me, it, it was, uh, it helped a lot. 
things intensified. Obviously, at a certain point, you you know you excel in junior hockey. You get drafted by Chicago, which is your you know essentially you, you know where you where you grew up. I think I believe you grew up a, a Blackhawks fan to a certain extent. What what's it like? I mean, it's got to be a dream to a certain extent to get drafted and play for the team you rooted for growing up. But I imagine there's also a certain amount of pressure that comes with that as well. Yeah, I was a huge Blackhawks fan. Um, you know, I got to watch a lot of good players going through and grew up going to a lot of games. Um, you know, I got to watch Kane and Taze early in their career when they first got in the league and they were dominating. Obviously, they, they still are. But, um, yeah, I remember I went uh, – I had my final my, – my last final in my freshman year of high school, 2010. Um and I, uh, it was my Spanish final and, uh, I didn't even look at a question. I just filled it out the, the, and just so I can get downtown to the parade, um, me and my, my buddy picked me up from school and we drove down to Chicago and, um, yeah, it was, was, was part of the sea of Blackhawk jerseys downtown on Wacker drive. And, um, you know, and then fast forward three years, I got drafted by them. And then fast forward another two years, I was on one of the buses for the parade. So it was, it was uh, just kind of a crazy five, five year uh, period. If you, if you, if I were to, you know, see myself, five, you know, five years before that, uh, sitting down and, and cheering for these guys and then, you know, being with them five years later. I won't ask you the next question in Spanish. Um, so it sounds like you didn't necessarily. I would know a word. I would know a word. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm just kidding anyway. A uh, couple more things for you, Ryan Hartman. Enjoying this conversation. Um, you know, I feel like players get to the NHL and everybody, you know, pretty much anybody who's gotten this far scored a certain amount of goals. They were probably the, one of the best players on their team growing up, whether, you know, whatever level it was. Then you get to the NHL and you kind of get this label or role put on you. It's not like you magically forget how to score goals, even if suddenly you get deemed a checking player or more of a defensive style player. Maybe as how do you relate to that kind of idea? And maybe should we not be so surprised that someone who, you know, scored at a pretty good clip in junior hockey and has had a fair share of NHL goals, you know, has 12 goals and leads this team right now. Yeah, no, it's definitely, you know, you know, everyone at the NHL level was, you know, really good growing up and that's the reason they're in the NHL and sometimes they fall into roles that aren't necessarily goal scoring roles and um, they don't really have the opportunity sometimes to score but it's obviously there in every guy that's in the NHL um, obviously maybe with defensemen it might be a little different like a stay-at-home defenseman who prides in blocking shots and has probably been doing that his whole career might not necessarily ever been a scorer but um, I was thinking about it the other day too it was like you know the longest I've ever been in a in a certain league was probably, you know, two years. I played two years in the USHL with the U.S. program, two years in the OHL, two years in the AHL. You know, in those two years, you finally start getting comfortable. And then after those two years, you, you start moving up to the next level. And then you got to kind of reset and re not necessarily learn the game, but the speed changes. And, you know, now this is my you know fifth or sixth year now. It's the longest I've ever been in the league. Um, and uh, that comfortability of the game – slowing down and you know you're you've been I've been here for a while now and I'm coming up on 400 games and um the game just feels comfortable and um not that I haven't been adjusted for a while now but um it is the longest you know 
you've been in a, the same league your whole life. So um, definitely feel just really comfortable on the ice and um, aware of, you know, a lot of situations that I might not have been early in my career. One of the podcast listeners, friend of mine, goes by Chicken Fingers 69 on Twitter. I asked him if he had a question for you because he's a huge wild fan, is very knowledgeable hockey uh, guy as well. Wanted to know if you adjust your game. You, you've kind of been up and down with different lines on this team. Sometimes you play with Kaprizov, sometimes you're with Felino, other, other scenarios. Do you adjust your game based on who you're playing with? Um, I try not to, honestly, if I do, I feel like it, 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 it hurts my game a little bit. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not the most skilled NHL player in the league. And when I go get up to some of these lines when I have in the past, um, you know, there's been times where I try to match that and that's just not what's going to make me successful. I think it's, it's me staying and playing the way I play and getting the pucks and, you know, getting in the four check and, getting the puck to these skilled guys. And, um, you know, they, they obviously have that skill for a reason. And then, you know, when I get opportunities to, to shoot or score or, you know, to make a play, it's, it's so I think it's, you know, I try to just keep my game where it is, no matter what I'm playing. Last thing, Ryan Hartman, um, what, what should we know about you off the ice? I, I, we can read biography, you know, the brief bios they write, or you can read Wikipedia, but what, how do you describe yourself to, you know when you're not not just Ryan Hartman the hockey player uh i don't know i i'm uh pretty laid back i do a little bit of everything you know i golf a lot in the summer uh you know free time i, I don't do much uh, maybe play some like playstation or xbox or whatever um i like i'm very outdoorsy you know i hunt and fish and it's tough with hockey you know the seasons right during hunting season so i haven't been able to Got to do it last year with the delayed season start, um, but it's usually in October, so I don't get to do much uh, right now. But that'll there'll be plenty of time for that later in life. Um, but obviously, golf goes hand in hand with hockey. Um, you know, I I spend five to six days a week at the golf course in the summer uh, back in Chicago, and I travel for golf. Go down to South Carolina for golf. Um, takes up a lot of my life, honestly, in the summers. So. Uh, besides that, I mean, I think that's about it. You know, a hockey player and, you know, likes to likes to be outside. I don't, you know, I'm not inside very much. Well, it sounds like a pretty good life and a pretty good season to date for both you and the Wild. Ryan Hartman, thank you so much for joining me today. Enjoy the rest of your day off and good luck the rest of the year, okay? Yeah, awesome. Thank you for having me. Now, kids, I don't recommend um, skipping your Spanish exams to go to parades for your favorite teams but that said if a minnesota team ever won another championship here um i would give you permission to uh, to maybe miss out on a little bit like ryan hartman did back in the day when he told that great story about you know cutting basically putting down fake answers to his uh spanish final and, and getting out of there to get to the uh stanley cup parade for the uh, the Chicago Blackhawks. So really enjoyed catching up with Ryan Hartman, and I just hope you guys enjoyed uh, everything he had to say as well. Happy to have Marcus Fuller back on Daily Delivery. It's been a couple weeks and several Gopher men's basketball victories since we talked, Marcus. I think at the beginning of the year, we kind of set things up saying this could be a struggle for Ben Johnson in his 
first season with the Gophers. Uh, Got to admit, Marcus, they're six and zero right now. I know uh, early December RPI doesn't mean that much, but they're number twelve in the RPI right now. And I got to admit, six wins is probably more than I thought they might win all season. What what's going on here with this team that's got them to this point? Yeah, I don't remember when we talked about the team struggling. I'm pretty sure that uh, you said rebuild, and I said undefeated. Uh, six and zero start. So you did gonna, not say that, Marcus. I'm going to go, <laughs> go ahead and uh, predict that. Uh, no, I, I think that obviously, um, if you look at the RPI, I don't think they use RPI anymore. I think they uh, they done they done away with that years ago. But we'll just go with that number twelve RPI and and uh, and, and say that they're going to make the NCAA tournament as of now. Um, but when you look at the start, I think all of us expected. Um, you know, there to be a couple losses at least in this uh, first six games. Um, you know, you said six wins for the entire year. Was that your prediction? I didn't even know if they'd win six, honestly. Like, I just thought they were going to be really, really bad. I just looked at their roster and I was like, I just don't see how this comes together, especially as you're trying to install new systems, things like that. But for them to be six and no, I don't care who their first six opponents were. I'm very... Like I'm beyond surprised, especially you know at, at how they've won some of these games and you know pulled them off in the in the final moments, kind of like they did against Pittsburgh the other night, and you were there for that. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the last few seconds of that game, you know, first of all, you know they're not an offensive juggernaut. I mean, if you see some of the games that they've played, um, you know, they're in the 50s, uh, 60s. They're one of the lowest scoring teams in the Big Ten, but at the same time, like you said, I mean, they've been able to finish these games. Um, you know, if you look at uh, the final seconds in, at Pittsburgh, uh, Luke Lowey comes in, uh, he inbounds the ball to EJ Stevens. EJ Stevens gets to the basket pretty easily, but he can't finish over uh, a taller, more athletic defender, puts it up off the backboard, rolls off the rim, and, and Luke Lowey inbounded the ball. You know, he has the instincts to follow his teammate's shot and rises up and, and puts it back in for the, for the game winner. Uh, this is a team that ranked going into the Pittsburgh game last in Division One in offensive rebounding percentage, dead last, 358 teams. And partly is because Ben Johnson doesn't like crashing the offensive glass. He doesn't feel like he has the athletes or the size to do it very effectively, so they just don't do it. Um, but also, I mean, you know, like I said, that this team is not, um, you know, one of the biggest and most athletic teams. Um, and it showed versus Pittsburgh. They got out-rebounded, but they got the rebounds that counted. The last two points of the game were second-chance points. And, um, you know, if you look at this team defensively, they're always going to put themselves in the game. Um, they hold um, team opponents to 21% shooting from three-point range, which ranks number two in the country, I believe, and number one in the Big Ten, obviously. And, you know, if you get a chance to – um, you know, keep the opponent from hitting a lot of threes, especially when you're playing mid-major opponents. Um, you know, that's what, how a lot of these upsets have happened this year. You know, when when mid-majors are playing uh, up, you know, they'll hit threes. What happens in the NCAA tournament a lot. And so if you can take that away from the opposing team, and they've actually been shooting pretty well from three-point range this year, um, you're going to be in a lot of games. And then if you have the experience – to make plays down the stretch, whether it be defensively coming up with a key rebound or a shot or free throw, um, that's the difference in the game. One or two possessions, one or two points. And if you look at, you know, this P- Pittsburgh game, if you look at the double overtime win versus Princeton, if you look at a couple of the games where they let double-digit leads slip versus UMKC and also Western Kentucky, um, they might have, you know, 
let these teams back in the game, but quickly they realized that, hey, we've done this before. Uh, obviously, the UMKC was the first game. Once they did that, they realized that, hey, we're new. This is a new coach. You know, we're a Big Ten team that nobody expected us to do anything, but we believe that we can win, and that, that was the biggest key. I think if they would have lost that first UMKC game, you know, even if they would have played pretty well in the next five games, you would have seen a, seen a totally different outcome. But because they, they came back and they won that, that UMKC game, um, you know, I'm sorry, they, they come back, but they lost the lead in that UMKC game. I think that they believed every other game after that, that no matter what happened, they could win down the stretch. And, and that's, that's a huge thing. And obviously, like you said, defense has been a big part of what they've done so far. I think you wrote about that a little bit in detail last week. You know, talking about, let me just mention it again, the opposing three-point percentage, you know, very good way up there in Division One, and certainly ahead of the rest of the pack in the Big Ten. That can be a little bit of a volatile stat. They could kind of, you know, teams will certainly shoot better than 21% for the season, so that will even out a little bit. That said, they do seem to have a level of, defensive intensity and acumen that that suggests that they they could keep themselves in more games than i thought what when you're not particularly athletic or big how are how are they such a good defense so far aside from that you know kind of outlier stat of opposing three-point percentage well you know i i don't expect it to be 21 percent when the season ends but i think three-point defense isn't necessarily always that your opponents don't shoot the ball that necessarily that well. I mean, it, it really is a focus that they have. I mean, they actually, you know, they, they, they pressure the ball quite a bit um, and they, they, they really, you know, guard the, the three point line. Um, you asked one of the reasons why they're better defensively. I think the scouting port, um, you know, uh, Dave Thorson, former uh, Dale South coach who prides himself on ball pressure and, and defensive uh, success at, at Dale South. Um, he does the scouting report and I wrote a couple, uh, games ago that, you know, when they, when he, he starts off the, 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 the week, uh, shouting at the team, uh, getting them to, to focus on, um, the scouting report, you know, and, and, and you know how, what kind of personality he has, you know, he's just, he jumps out at you, you know, eyes bulging, um, you know, uh, you know, he'll get your attention even if you're, you're falling asleep. And, you know, if you get the, the players to buy into the scouting report, that's huge. Um, you know, so a lot of team, times teams you'll, you'll see starting the game and the opponent will, will have success in an area where you, you knew they would. Um, that's, that's coaching. <laughs> you know, that's just, not just personnel, that's coaching. Um, the team was not prepared. And it's, it, it feels like every game this team is really prepared um, to take away your what you do best. Um, they played Western Kentucky, who's an athletic, um, very uh, big team that likes to go inside. Um, then the second game in, in, uh, in, in Asheville, they played Princeton, who has a completely different offense, a lot of backdoor, very disciplined, half court. They, <laughs> it was completely two scouts, and they, they, they had two of their best defensive games. Um, you know, for, for the most part in those games. So I, I think scouting is a huge thing. Uh, game preparation is a huge thing. But it's also experience. Um, six of their seven players in their rotation are seniors. They've played a lot of college basketball. Um, 
so they've, they've been taught well defensively. Uh, so they know how to move their feet. They know uh, how to help defense. They, they know, um, you know, different places to be on the court um, for, for defensive rebounds, which again, they're one of the top uh, defensive rebounding teams in the country and also in the big 10. Um, not very big, not very athletic, uh, but they're, they're, they seem to be in the right place at the right time. Hence Lowy's uh, put back uh, for the game winner. So I think experience, um, you know, discipline with the scouting report and, and just playing well together, their chemistry. They do a lot of talking and communicating on the court. Um, you know, it's almost like they played together for four years. Uh, it kind of reminds me of some of the teams that my sixth grade son plays in, in boys traveling when, you know, you look at the team and they're not the biggest and the most athletic. And all of a sudden, you know, at halftime, you're down double digits because they play well together. You know, they know where, where one of their strengths and weaknesses are. And, um, you know, they try to make up for that by playing well as a team. A couple things oh, to that to that, to that uh, point. One being, how much of this do you think is sustainable once they start playing, you know, a tougher schedule? They're going to face Michigan, Michigan State here pretty soon. And, you know, the whole gamut of the Big Ten, even Mississippi State, their next opponent has a, it seems like that should be a better test than they probably had yet this season, you know, Certainly, some of these attributes are transferable. How well do you think they will? How well do you think they will hold up against better competition? That's a good point. You know, you saw a lot of it in this Pittsburgh game. You know, Pittsburgh's picked to finish last in the ACC. Uh, they're two and five this year. They've lost three games to at home and two to, to mid majors. So, you know, it's great to get a win on the road, and you don't want to take any anything away from their six and zero start. But now is when they really play the big boys. Uh, literally. And, um, you know, Mississippi State's got a 6'10", 250-pound center who's leading them in scoring and rebounding. Um, next to him in the front court is a six foot nine transfer from North Carolina who was the ACC preseason player of the year at North Carolina last year in Garrison Brooks. Um, also next to him is a 6'8 wing from Memphis who a few years ago uh, was a projected first-round pick. Uh, one of Penny Hardaway's top recruits with James Wiseman. So this is a not just a bigger team like they played versus Western Kentucky. This is also a lot more talented team that that really, I mean, other than their uh, the egg or the the, the they dropped an egg against um, Louisville in the Bahamas. Um, it's, it's they're having a good season, uh, Mississippi State. So I, and they're playing at home. Uh, so I think again, it's another road environment. Um, I think it'll be a lot bigger, uh, more bustling environment than it was at Pitt. I think there's probably 500 people in the stands. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. And, you know, it's an SEC game. This is not SEC football, but, you know, Mississippi State, uh, you know, they, they've got Ben Howell in there. And, and, and I think he has a team that they feel like they can make the NCAA tournament. Uh, they need to prove it by beating Big Ten teams. They need to prove it by, you know, handling – uh, opponent like Minnesota, who comes in undefeated, but at the same time, uh, you know, the, it, they're going to be favored in that game. Mississippi State will, you know, so I, I like that test for them. And, and then when they come to play early in the Big Ten season, you got Michigan State. Tom Izzo um, has a team this year is a lot better than last year, um, playing like a team, uh, fit more physical, and they play defense like uh, Michigan State teams of old. And then they they come back and and they go on the road again. <laughs> Third time in four games, play at Michigan. 
defending Big Ten champions who have started off the season slow, uh, but there's a reason why they're preseason favorite to win the Big Ten, even over Purdue, who's the number two team in the country right now. Um, you know, they've got uh, a very good big man in Hunter Dickinson. And I think that's where you'll see the, the Gophers struggle is they just do not have much uh, in the post that can handle, uh, uh, you know, some of these better big men in the country. And, you know, I, John Hughley for Pittsburgh, uh, I would say if he was in the Big Ten, you know, he'd probably be in the middle of the pack of the big men. You know, he had 25, he had, he had 25 and 14 on Minnesota, including uh, 16 straight points in one stretch that helped Pittsburgh take control of that game until the very end. So that's the area where I, I don't think that they can actually um, do much, but try to try to make sure that they stay out of foul trouble, try to make sure, especially Eric Curry is on the floor and he can give them some rebounds. He can give them some experience and he can help them defensively as a team, because I think, you know, beyond Eric Curry, it's a, it's a pretty big drop off. Charlie Daniels um, has been playing about 10 minutes, a game, 12 minutes a game this year. Um, and he's, he's a physical presence, uh, but he just doesn't have, um, you know, the experience playing against high major opponents to, to really help them. A couple more things for you, Marcus. Again, I'm enjoying watching this team play way more than I thought I would. I want to hear from you who, you know, the rotation is pretty tight. Um, we didn't know a lot about many of these guys coming into the season. Anybody individually surprising you so far with, you know, what they've been able to do you know, on the court for the Gophers this year? I think Jamison Battle is by far, um, you know, the individual that has uh, taken this team to another level. If you look at what he did at George Washington, you know, he averaged 17 points a game last year. And he's averaging 17 this year for the the Gophers. So, you know, yes, they haven't played high major competition. It's their first time versus Pittsburgh, you know, but he's had some very big games, uh, especially in the first half and really in in stretches. Um, It seems like when they need a basket, when they need a bucket, uh, he's their go-to guy. And really, if if you want to continue to have success in the Big Ten and and against better opponents, you're going to have to have a player that can just get you a basket to stop opposing teams run. And it was a 9-0 run, I think, in the second half versus Pitt. They're down by eight. And all of a sudden, you know, Jamison Battle is quiet, and he scores eight straight points. And it's not like they, they didn't know it was coming. Sure. <laughs> I mean, they, they knew it was coming, and they just still couldn't stop it. I mean, he's six foot seven, and, you know, he comes off a screen, and he just pulls up, quick trigger. Uh, you know, it's in the basket. And, you know, he's shot a little poorly from three-point, in the last few games, I want to say his, his, he started off the season strong and now he's about 31% from three. But I think that's because he's taken a lot of them. You know, I think if he, if he kind of slows down a little bit on the volume and maybe gets to the basket a bit more, you'll see that percentage um, raise a little bit. And Peyton Willis is kind of that second option. You know, a lot of times he's the first option. Battle's not, not, not getting it going. But Peyton Willis has the ball in his hands this year, sort of like Marcus Carr did last year and the last couple of years. So he's called his number quite often when they need a bucket. And, you know, the thing I like about Willis more than the last time around for the Gophers is he's actually getting to the basket more, um, not just selling for the jump shot. He's facilitating, you know, off the pick and roll. Instead of pulling up all the time, he's trying to find his teammates. And, and you know, that that's really helped this team. They have two solid uh, double-figure scorers. 
And then every now and then you'll see a guy like EJ Stevens, who really Ben Johnson trusted to take the last shot against Pitt. Didn't go in, but he actually got to the basket and got a good shot off. And and also Luke Lowy, where, you know, he's not a big time scorer, but defensively, I mean, he he's kind of, he, he's, he's been sliding in for Gabe Kalsher this year and become one of the best defenders uh, in the Big Ten. You know, they haven't had, had Big Ten play yet this year, but if just off the opponents that they've played, uh, he's one of the best on-ball on defenders out there. And, um, you know, he really put a stamp on his game. He really puts a stamp on the game without scoring. Last thing, Marcus, um, and I mentioned this on a podcast a couple of days ago, but it feels like, you know, by them starting 6-0 and with, you know, with a roster that was largely assembled through the transfer portal after so many of their guys left. Um, and again, we don't expect them to sustain, you know, an undefeated season. It does feel like it bodes well, though. It does indicate at least early on that the, this new coaching regime knows what it's doing. Is that you you feel like you've seen evidence of of Ben Johnson being a pretty good in-game coach so far? Yeah, I think the preparation going into the game, like I said, is, is very good. I think um, finishing games, you know, there's been situations where they've lost the lead or they've been trailing late in games where he's called a timeout and he's really gotten them, you know, straight away. So I, I think, you know, he's good at motivating. He's good at, you know, um, preparing the team uh, going into the game. And, you know, I'm not just talking about Ben Johnson, this entire staff. I think Dave Thorson, Marcus Jenkins, and Jason Kemp, they work well together. And, you know, one thing about Patino, you saw that he had a lot of assistants come and go. And there, there, there was just a tough really getting chemistry as a, as a coaching staff. And it, I think it's really impressive that in his first year, he's not coached with any one of these guys. I mean, even Dave Thorson, as close as they've been for more than half his life, uh, they've never coached before. But it was seamless, the transition, you know, even in practices where, you know, Thorson will be screaming and, and saying what he wants to say, but he'll give Ben Johnson the time to make sure that they know that it's his team. So I think the coaching staff definitely um, has this team prepared game in and game out. Um, and I think that that is, uh, that's been a huge thing for this team. And I think that's what you're going to see moving forward because you talked about all the newcomers. Well, most of them are seniors. So we're going to have an entirely different team next year. Absolutely. Well, it's been interesting to watch so far. Like we talked about, the the competition gets much tougher now. I'll be interested. That Mississippi State game will be a pretty good indicator of, you know, will they be able to hang with some of these bigger teams once they get into Big Ten play? Because it sounds like they've got a pretty good front court there. Um, But like I said at the outset, like more than I've expected so far and, you know, We'll see what they're able to do the rest of the way. Marcus, we'll check We'll check in again soon, especially as a Big Ten play gets underway here. All right. Thanks a lot. It's good to have the Gophers on the podcast. Good stuff with Marcus. Enjoyed catching up with that on that team. Haven't talked as much Gopher men's basketball lately, but 6-0 and um, against anybody that is impressive. That said, like Marcus and I talked about, about to step up in class with the competition they're facing. ESPN has a metric called Basketball Power Index. Gophers number 88 in the BPI right now. Their next three opponents, Mississippi State, Michigan State, and Michigan, all in the top 30 of that. So they will see a much harder schedule going forward, and we'll see if they're able to do 
more this season than I expect them to as the competition gets better. Let's finish with the cooler. Wolves lost 115-107 at Washington on uh, Wednesday night. No shame in that. Washington is off to a good start this season. Um, this is one of those games where they didn't they didn't win. They're not going to win every game. We'll see if they can bounce back in their next game Friday night. Alan Horton, uh, Timberwolves radio voice, will join me on uh, on Friday's show, by the way, to talk through this season. Wolves at Nets on Friday night should be a fun one there. See if they can get back over 500. Um, one minor point on that game, kind of as, they've, as D'Angelo Russell has gone this year, so have the Wolves. They lost the two games he missed earlier this year in wins this season. He is shooting 36.6% from three-point range in losses, 26.7% from three-point range. He had a bad game uh, the other night, uh, only made three shots out of 18. And, uh, you know, as he goes, a lot of times he's kind of the X factor. He's not their best player. That's Carl Anthony Towns. He's not their second best player in terms of excitement, at least. That's Anthony Edwards. But D'Angelo Russell... Good D'Angelo gives the Wolves a good chance to win. Bad D'Angelo, like we saw Wednesday night, gives them a good chance to lose. Russell, by the way, in that 3-for-18, just 1 of 12 from three-point range. Wolves shoot a lot of threes. He shot almost a third of them the other night. Uh, They shot 37 and made 11. So aside from D'Angelo Russell, they were 10 of 25 from three-point range, 40%. So... D'Lo was certainly a drag on that percentage as well. But again, he's been good in a lot of games, and he could be right back at it against the Nets on Friday. We'll be right back at it on Friday as well. Like I said, Alan Horton will join me on the show uh, to, to talk Timberwolves, talk a lot of good stuff. Mark Craig will also join me for the weekly pick segment. Thanks for joining me here today on Daily Delivery. I'm Michael Rand. We'll see you again tomorrow.